back to going through the motions with me Callum and me Alex how's it going you know I wasn't uh, that satisfied with that intro it wasn't as good as when we were just sound checking it just like a couple of seconds ago okay yeah mm. oh you like the sound check one yeah the sound check one was good but I reckon this will be okay nobody well, will know the difference unless of course I say that there was a difference on the podcast that we actually record that we're actually are we gonna which we right use now. this one yeah why not okay cool yeah <laughs> nice good. well this is it the first 2020 actual recording of going through the motions. Yes. Happy so New Year. I know. Happy New Year to you as well. We did spend New Year together, though, to be fair. I wasn't going to tell them that. Why not? Bit of mystery. Ah. Bit of surprise. Everyone <laughs> likes a peek behind the curtain, right? <laughs> spending, spending it in our lovely little hometown. Yeah. Uh, but we had, we had a great time. Yeah, we, it was we good. We had a, a nice little event. I hope you... All the listeners had a had a fun time, a safe time wherever wherever they were. Back to London, of course. Very responsible. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I don't, it's it's you kind of like you, do you want you want to suggest anarchy to the listeners, but yeah. you don't want to say it directly. You can't tell the listeners. Well, go let's be flip a car. Let's be fair. Go fucking Anar- anarchy is more fun. Yeah, of course, more fun. <laughs> of course, of course it is. But then that's how we that's why we realise that we'll get shut down on Apple Podcast. Absolutely. That's, that's when they no know. explicit markings in the world small, will make up for actually, this. Actually, speaking of which, uh, this is a complete tangent to this on anarchy. I was reading somewhere that the original copy of Fight Club was initially blacklisted from a lot of shops and stuff. You're because kidding. No, no, really, because the book itself explicitly talked about how to create a bomb. And actually, the, the, the instructions in it were too accurate for a lot of people, and it was blacklisted. Is it not anymore? I don't know. I, I think it's been altered. Surely it's been sure. edited. Surely in this day and age, there is not uh, an accessible book out there that tells you how to make a bomb <laughs> well, you'd like to think so <laughs> maybe on the dark web but not in waterston have a quick look i'll have a quick google now a quick google what and we're back yeah that nice little edit point that we didn't actually edit that no we didn't <laughs> we got them we got we yeah we've done it uh but no a great time and obviously back in back in london now we'll start with our new segment things what we have seen in london and I'm going to start with something that came across us, which I could not believe. We've just come from, so we're recording this on a Friday evening, a long day of work, first week back, on the tube, having a nice conversation. Chap got on in the middle of the tube. I have never seen boats like those. Oh, the pink shoes. The, these oh things. Days. And you know when someone's comic got these comically large he must have searched high and low for those because yeah. you don't get size 16s in s- standard stores. No, but it wasn't It wasn't the fact that like he very obviously had normal sized feet. Yeah. It was just Did the he? shoe. He was a tall bloke. I mean, he was a tall bloke, but, there, but <laughs> the shoes were dis- 
if they were proportional to his body, yeah. you wouldn't have cared. He looked like a you wall bracket. You wouldn't have noticed. He looked like something you would put shelving on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like a sort of a standard wall. He looked like an AA3 B Phillips wall bracket that you would get in B&Q. That's very specific. <laughs> yeah, I was Googling it. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's something that on our famous segment of... I've got, I noticed another few things, but one of them is a really funny one. We'll, we can talk yeah. about it. We now have an email. We do. Yes, it is motionspod at gmail.com. Very imaginative. Mm. I know, I came up with it myself. <laughs> so we would love it now. And as I said, I'm going to probably add something in to the older episodes, which are starting to, to filter through on Apple, Apple Music and Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But we would love it if you could write in to us. We want to hear your thoughts on the pod. Tell us what you think. Give us some recommendations. In an ideal world, we'd like to try and open up a sort of question-answer piece on the podcast where you can talk to us a little bit, give a bit of a, a an inside look into what you think your favourite movies with music are. And yeah, I, I guess a suggestion. I would love to make. I would love to su- someone to suggest a film and ask yeah. to go away, think about it, and watch it. I think that would be really. Really I think fun. whatever audience we end up reaching with this podcast, I'd love I'd love to interact with them. It would just make us <laughs> so much more satisfying. So, Alex, this week you're up first. Yeah, I think I'm going first. Yeah, start the start the year off with a nice. Uh, a nice provocative music with a movie, something that's going to get us talking, something that's going to get us going. I'm excited to hear. Right. Well, we have a platform for talking about movies here on this podcast, and I just saw a movie in the cinema that I have now seen twice as of recording this. It's a dirty Probably movie. when it comes out, I'll see it three times. It's not a dirty movie, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie called The Rise of Skywalker. There it is. And if you didn't know, it's part of the Star Wars franchise. Did you know that, Callum? <laughs> well, we so we obviously talked a little bit about this in our first episode, and we and I made some bold statements, and I and and I I will quote myself on this, saying that formulaically this was to be the best Star Wars movie. So right up top, let's just say, was I right? Or it was is one hundred percent not the best <laughs> Star Wars movie. Ever made. In fact, I have Max yet to do. Broken. I have yet to do my official ranking of the Star Wars movies. But listeners, rest assured, I'll be saying that at some point on a podcast. At some stay point. tuned for that one. In fact, that's probably the first question to write in. Now you have our email. We'd love to hear your official rankings. Maybe give us everyone's your... is different. This is what I love it's about a, Star it's a, Wars. It's a, it's a really interesting and also a watch order. Watch order is something else that's really interesting. Oh, yeah. People have some really interesting watch order. And I was I, I saw a subreddit thread of people talking about this. Anyway, go for it. Right, the rise of Skywalker. I saw it twice. First time I hated it. Or not hated it. But I was decidedly meh about it. I was thinking 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10. Second time I saw it, I absolutely loved it. We're talking 8 out of 10. And I have never had that in a movie before. Genuinely. I have always had an opinion about a movie when I've seen it the first time. And more or less I've kind of stuck with it. I don't know if you've had the same thing. 
I can't. I can't say. I, I can't say. I, have, I think. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. But the movies that potentially will fall into this category, unfortunately, are not good movies. Yeah. Because you're watching it again, forgiving the bluffs, forgiving yeah. the 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 hit and misses, the swings and misses. So by proxy, if you identify as Rise of Skywalker as one of those movies that is better on second time viewing because you went from almost 180, hating it to loving it, it's probably not a good movie. I don't no, know if that's what you I, think. I think, <laughs> I think a week after my second viewing, which is about now, I think it's still critically not a good movie. Mm. However, second time through, I didn't care. So talk, talk I us through. I did not care. What, what changed for you? Basically, first time through, I was seeing everything happening on screen. I was seeing the direction that they decided to take the movie in. And every time they did something, I went, oh, that's dumb. Mm. Oh, mm. that's dumb. Or, or, oh, that was a bit meh. Yeah. Uh, meh. But, Can you give any examples? Anything that you went that is a that is a, a staple because I've got an example of something that does that 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 hits me on the head of what what you're saying. Okay, so I can give like one one example that really just applies to the whole movie, and that is the character of Palpatine, mm. the Emperor. Okay? Yes, yes, yeah, the big the big reveal, the big reveal, the Emperor's back now. The Emperor is one of my, was one of my favorite characters and one of my all time favorite like villains in all movies and stuff like that because throughout all six of the original movies, you know, including the prequels that we grew up with, mm-hmm. he was kind of the puppet master. Yes, yeah, going through it and stuff yeah. like that. I didn't see anything in episode seven and eight to suggest that Palpatine was behind everything, and I would have swallowed that Palpatine was behind everything if they'd have revealed it in episode 9 in a more convincing way. Yes. But what they did was in the first sentence of the opening crawl of Star Wars, they went, Hello! Emperor Palpatine's back! And we're sitting there going, Is he? Yeah. I had no idea. What? When did this happen? It literally just says in the first sentence, Oh, by the way, Emperor Palpatine's back. And there's this whole thing about, and you mentioned this because we talked about it briefly, although we've not gone into a huge amount of detail. In movies, show don't tell. Show, yeah. The, the, there's a couple of there's a couple of things. So start again. Starting this podcast, I've had I've had a really I've really enjoyed actually looking into what makes a good movie, why podcasters talk about certain movies, and specific. Things that the that, 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 uh, movie makers can do in order to tell people that this is a good movie. And I say the word tell wrongly there because the, the, the phrase I'm going to use is show don't tell. Mm-hmm. Now you know a movie is a good movie when it shows you that Palpatine is back. It doesn't tell you Palpatine's back, which is one of many yeah. examples. I, I Someone who, uh, a very love-hate character, but genuinely quite a loved character um, in filmmaking, Nolan... Nolan does this beautifully. I, you I mean think Christopher, Christopher Nolan. No, sorry, Christopher Nolan, yeah. Christopher Nolan does this. I, I can think of an example of things like such as Interstellar, where you have the robots. You have the, the, the two robots that are part of, the, part of the mission, so to speak, in that movie. At no point are they explained. Yeah. At no point are they formally really introduced. Yeah. They are introduced in the same way as if a character just walks in. You don't have to explain, this is a human. A human does this. And these yeah. are the kind of... They did, he did that. The show don't tell 
And you know that's that's maybe a that's maybe a few stages too far to separate from the whole Palpatine dropping. But I think that definitely emphasizes the phrase "show don't tell." And it just doesn't. It just didn't do that for every reason. It didn't do that. Yeah, and it was in the dialogue as well. Like the first thing he says when Kylo Ren's going through the big Sith temple, and you hear this big voice over which it sounds epic. It's mm. the Emperor's voice, and a big part of me was really excited to see him and yep. stuff like that. Yep. But he said something like, I am every voice you ever heard in your head. And it was like, oh, great. Thanks for just telling me I mean, everything. I mean, but it's the most, it's the most, I'm trying to think of the word here, but it, I mean, it's retconning, but the most accepted version of retconning. Yeah. If you really think about it. Yeah. You know, it's not like the author's gone onto Twitter and has decided to start adding some extra things, like another. We author. are not referring <laughs> to any author in particular. But, 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 and, and, and I think that it's you know if, it, if it's broke don't if it's broke don't try and you know don't try and fix. Uh, sorry, if it's if, fuck me, fuck that one. <laughs> if, if it works, don't broke it. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> My God, that goes your fucking. Yeah. If it's broke, don't fix it. You know. If it's that's broke, my don't fix it. Just chuck mean, it out, buy a new one. Yeah, that's fucked me. I'd probably just leave it there. Don't, don't, don't try and fix it, but no, I mean... It's what you need there is a new motor. <laughs> it's just a flat tyre, not nah, new nah, motor. Mate, fuck. <laughs> you, you don't need to do that level of retconning. And again, there, there was an awful lot of it. You know, the Snokes in the Tank was another one. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Everything that was on screen or said in dialogue with you know some exceptions that i appreciated more the second time was exposition was just trying desperately to explain things in the previous two movies yeah. that and it just didn't make for a particularly satisfying movie the first time now this is when it gets interesting as far as my perception of the movie is concerned because the second time I forgot all of that and I sat down and I watched a Star Wars movie and there was the Force, there was lightsabers, there were character journeys, there was, there was yeah. light, there was good versus evil, there were mm -hmm. there were space battles, there were co cool little puppets, Babu Frick. There was the little puppets, yeah, puppets, the, yeah. the little droid the little droid mechanic, Babu yeah, Frick, yeah. that goes, hey hey Yeah, yeah. Amazing. There was pogs. What are they called? Pogs? For the first time, Porgs. <laughs> Porgs. Yeah. Porgs. Pogs. The Pogs. The little... Um, puffin. his Pogs set on board. Yeah, the little puffin <laughs> seal things. Yeah. I love them. It just like... It, it was a really pure Star Wars adventure that didn't really try to be much more than that. So, in many ways, I loved it for that because that's what it is. Yeah. But... They could have done a lot more. They could have added a Baby Yoda meme, for example. Oh, God. They could have put one of those in. Because all, all essential Star Wars properties are now essential. A Baby Yoda meme. Oh, yeah. Be, the, Baby Yoda is now the most popular Star Wars character in existence. We can go back to what you were saying as well about the meh moments. Because that can be summed up. There's a very, very honest answer to why a lot of people, not just you, felt that way. And that's every time there was a, a crucial decision that had to be made of some description or something like this. I think what happened was the the writing team or Disney, uh, it, it, you know, it was it was a film by Bo, 
by, by um, armchair executives and, and, and boardroom executives have made this movie because they kind of just went, whatever will sell the most money. Yeah, and there is one moment that perfectly encapsulates that idea and it's right at the end of the movie. Obviously, you know, we're spoiling this already. Right at the end, Ray versus Palpatine, right? Yes, yes. Right? Palpatine says, I am every Sith. And then Ray says, I am dot, 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 every Jedi. Now, what yeah, movie you... does that remind yeah, you of? Yeah, I forgot you saw, you said this, actually. And I, and I need to watch it again. Obviously, you've watched it twice. And I think you probably came up with that. You probably came up with that idea the first time you watched it and then saw it again and went, yeah, that's what they do. Genuinely, is it not just a carbon copy? Literally, control C, control V from Avengers Endgame. Yeah. I am inevitable. I am dot, 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 Iron Man. I mean, thank God they they remembered to change to change the words <laughs> at the last minute. I mean, honestly, it happened and I was like, oh, right. Okay, so you just saw how insanely popular Endgame was and you saw how the fans went mad for that moment. And you know what? I went mad for that moment as well. That moment was ridiculous. Yeah. It was so satisfying. Yeah. But it was satisfying because they earned it. Yeah. And it's because it was the line that kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe. At the end of Iron Man 1, at the press conference where he's like, I am Iron, Iron Man. Yeah. And then he does it at the moment of his death mm-hmm. in Endgame against Thanos going, I am Iron Man. But in The Rise of Skywalker, and I am a much bigger Star Wars fan than I am a Marvel fan, I love it so much more to see them just do the same moment where you've got the big goodie against the big baddie and for the big baddie to say something dark and menacing like I am every Sith and then for the hero to literally do the exact same line as Iron Man and say I am all the Jedi. Mm. it's just cheap mm. yeah it's cheap it's saying oh that will get a reaction because it they, got because you, it got a reaction earlier this year do you honestly think they did that consciously it's made by the same corporation yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, even yeah. if even if in some reality it was a fluke yeah. somebody must have said that's quite similar. Yeah, yeah. And I can uh, tell yeah, you're probably not the first person. And I can tell you for a yeah. fact that they did reshoots for this movie way after Avengers Endgame came out. Oh. They could have changed that line. Oh, that's a great point you made. Yeah, because they were doing reshoots quite, you know, let's, through the summer, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, let's give them the benefit of the doubt yeah. and say that it was the most mad coincidence in the world that the lines are basically identical. And she had another opportunity to do the same thing, which she says, "Who are you? I'm Ray. Who are you? Ray who? Ray Iron Man. And she didn't use it that time Ray, either. Ray. <laughs> she missed it both opportunities. Ray Iron Man, yeah. No, they changed the script last I, night. I made, a, I made a point to this. But, um, sorry, I, I'm going back before, I did say another thing because we were talking about the men moments and I'm, I'm going to say what I wanted to say. The death fake-outs. Oh, yeah. The death fake-outs in this movie. Because there, there were, I think there were more than one, but the one that springs to mind was the Chewbacca. Chewbacca, yeah, yeah. Death. Now... That's another example of a meme moment and uh, what's going to sell more money. Chewbacca as a property, they were never going... If you, for one moment, thought they were going to... They could get rid of Han Solo, Luke's Leia. They could get rid of all of these characters. Easy. Because they are characters. Actors portray them and they have a specific time and place. Peter Mayhew sadly passed away last year. Yeah. But Chewbacca will never go. 
Yeah. In the same way that R2-DT will never go and C-3PO... They will only make more of these. Because well, except they almost did it with C-3PO as well, but then, of course, they didn't do it with C-3PO. Because, the, because these things make money, and they are... T you just stick... You know, Anthony Daniels, when he hangs his his gold costume up on the wall that he wears to bed every night, when he hangs that beautiful piece of talisman to the Star Wars franchise up, you you bet you best believe that fucking Matthew Daniels, his, 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 his nephew comes... I don't know his nephew's called. <laughs> Matthew Daniels. Matthew Daniels is going to be straight in there. You know, like... St sticking on this this gold costume yourself they of course they were not going to kill these people the, the, yeah. the Chewbacca you, at no point at no point was I convinced that he was dead at no point yeah but it, because it wasn't earned the Chewbacca one it it happened too early in the movie and too suddenly for it to for it to mean anything mm. and so you were like na 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 and then five minutes later, he's back on screen. And you're like, oh yeah, I knew it. Yeah, yeah. I I thought I thought that they could have gotten away with it with the C three PO mind wipe. That would, thought, been, that would have been really that good. would have been yeah. great. But yeah. then, of course, he had a backup in R 2s file, and then they just what would have been interesting is instead of him just getting his memory back ten minutes later in the movie, is if he got all of his memories back. Because you remember at the end of episode yeah, he was three, wiped. yep. He was mind wiped. Could you imagine if he came back and he suddenly remembered young Master Annie? Yeah. And all yeah, of that. Yeah. That could have been some interesting stuff. There Did they do it? No. Well, there would have been an interesting piece of the dialogue. Something that I think that, and this is something that I felt away. I feel that there was there was very few ties to the prequels. As a summation of nine movies, how many times did they really strongly reference the prequels? Well, the presence of the presence of the emperor, but that's the original. Yeah, but I, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. You're not wrong. The, so but I would directly... count, I would count the presence of the emperor as being one because you've seen that character do his puppetry across nine movies. So I think that counts. And then also when Ray gets in touch with all the previous Jedi, and you hear the voices of Anakin. Yes. Hayden Christensen yes. was back. Yes. And as I said in the podcast, yes. what was the first podcast I said? I said, Anakin, the character of Anakin will be back in some way, but not necessarily. Yeah, I think yeah, you did screen. say that. I think you did, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to claim that I knew what was going to happen because <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a stretch. All those weeks even for me. HQ paid I know, off, my God. I was <laughs> standing outside the fence. outside with binoculars and, and vines <laughs> draped over my head. <laughs> Some kind of... Like a shit SAS. <laughs> like shit, shit Star Wars SAS. I'm a clone commando. <laughs> but no. The, yeah, all those... The Jedi. Ewan McGregor's voice was heard. Liam Neeson's voice was heard. Samuel L. Jackson's voice was heard. And called him a bitch. <laughs> Sammy J, does he look like a bitch? <laughs> All the Jedi's giving some really inspirational thoughts. And then, <laughs> why are you trying to fuck him like a bitch? The Emperor. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Oh my that? god, That just mate. happened. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay. <laughs> very good. I, um, I did have another few points that I wanted to, to say briefly about this. Another one was the character Rose. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? What do you think happened there? Now, Rose is basically the poster child for another reason why I felt like this movie didn't work. And that was the fan pandering. 
aspect of it because <laughs> unless you've been living under a rock for the last like two years the the very vocal minority of star wars fans did not like the last jedi hated, hated yeah. the last jedi yeah. i will say now that it's all finished the last jedi is my favorite sequel movie i will i will say that categorically mm. i know that much I know that much. It's the best movie with the best acting, with the best visuals. Yeah, the Canto Bike Casino um, sequence is a bit naff, but come on, you can forgive a whole movie for that. It's the most it's memorable. Got... It will be the one that's. It has it will be the so one that many. Most. It has so many cool moments. Yeah, I'm just thinking about so this for many the first cool time, moments. and now that you've put that in front of me, what Star Wars of of because of the the originals. Obviously, Empire is the one that stands out. Oh I, yeah, I think the more and, and, of, and music and we are a music movie podcast. Music throughout. We'll the, get there eventually, guys. We'll, we'll don't get worry. There eventually. <laughs> the, the music specifically in A New Hope is is beautiful. Is I, I oh, think yeah. almost probably more beautiful. But the, as as a whole a whole movie, I think Empire prequels. Revenge of the Sith is a cracking movie. Say what you want, I really enjoy it. Revenge of the Sith is the one that's gotten better for me every single time I watched it. And I. I am inclined to agree with you for this trilogy, Jedi. Last Jedi, yeah. Yeah, Last Jedi, yeah. Will. Because I, I watched The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi before going to see The Rise of Skywalker. Uh-huh. I really enjoyed The Force Awakens and I was so unbelievably hyped for it when it came out in the cinema. Like I was rabid with excitement. I was like tears. The, the whole work. Yeah. I was proper fanboying. And I loved it when it came out. I think I went to see it like five or six times sure, in yeah. the cinema. Yeah, yeah. A, a, an unacceptable amount of times. <laughs> the first stage is acceptance. <laughs> it is. I know my flaws, Callum. I'm owning them. <laughs> I'm owning them. And I saw The Last Jedi and I thought, whoa. Yeah. Like it was way more whoa yeah. than The Force Awakens, which was by all accounts very safe. And then yes. re watching the two of them more or less back to back in preparation for the rise of skywalker i just thought the force awakens was comparatively boring yeah like the dialogue it was is, not as is, good it is the dialogue was more safe and again explanationy mm-hmm. it, it didn't really make you feel a story whereas mm. the last jedi everyone's complaints about the last jedi are just to do with the fact that they don't necessarily agree with how luke was portrayed and other plot points and things like that. I would say plot points don't matter. The director went in with a vision, had a banging script, had amazing cinematography, amazing Star Wars moments. Hmm. I think directors and writers as artists have complete license to tell the stories that they want to tell, and they are not obliged to give anything to any fans Mm. or anything Mm. like that now i what i will say to that is studios can choose who they give properties to yes studios can choose which artists do stuff with their property but once that's been given and given to an artist i think they should have free reign and i and the last and the rise of skywalker for me was a movie for the fans, but in the worst possible way. But do you think? But you think then? I mean, I am not. You you are obviously much closer to, I guess, the the, the music industry and the film industry than I am. But do you think? And I'm not. But, but my understanding of that 
progression is what the next step is. Disney say they want to redo an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. And they set out their uh, set of requirements of things that they think should or they want to appear, i.e. a merchandisable character. Yeah. They want to have uh, a sequel ready to go so it leading up to something else yeah and maybe something along the lines of they, they, they want a unique chase sequence maybe that's the three things they say are obligatory yeah but then apart from that they 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 send this like almost like a competition so hmm. that directors and writers can write in with their requests because then what you're going to have is disney are going to just choose the one that fits their model their yeah. fan pandering the most yeah and before you know it these directors these writers who have their real thoughts, their their real opinions, how they think it should go, are not going to get a second look in because it doesn't align with what the production wants. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's the way that these big studios make movies now. Yeah. And we just kind of have to... We're, we see whatever they put in front of us and we have to live with it, mm -hmm. which is why I'm not... You know, I'll spout my opinions on this podcast, but I'm not going on to Reddit and no. those dark evil places of the internet where people <laughs> go completely batshit crazy yeah, yeah. like ugh, life's too short course, like you yeah. like what you like you don't what you don't and let other people do the same i'm gonna before i before we run this off there i i made a note and i sort of i wrote this down as i was leaving yeah go on the, the, the cinema about this and this is my genuine thoughts on the, the and this was as i left and i said never has a movie had such a tough sell and an imaginary high bar to meet high bar not because no longer being compared to the original trilogy which is a very good thing not being compared to the original but being compared to the fan expectations of what this should have been oh calm 2019 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, and i i wrote that and i guess what, what i'm trying to say is that is what is happening with these movies they're they're the, the, the what little comparison is acceptable comparing to older movies is out the window no one, you know, no one is no one is looking at this and looking at the original trilogy and look because they are different properties entirely. They're comparing it to what they thought it should have been in yeah. their own heads. Yeah, and the reality of it is we don't know what it should be in our own heads because we are not making the movies. The yeah. people that are making the movies are the only people that know that, yeah. and we get to discover how it goes. So, am I happy with how the Skywalker saga saga ended? It's not how I thought it would end. But the second time through it, once I knew what was happening, I've accepted it, and then I enjoyed all the Star Wars of it. Which brings me on to the thing that I love most about the whole Star Wars franchise, and that's the music. Yep. Honey, we're there! <laughs> we, we found Only 34 minutes in. Yep. How good are we? <laughs> that's now, a long time, isn't it? It's a long time, but it's fine. We're keeping it all. The Star Wars music in every single movie, bar none, has been, as George Lucas described it, the special sauce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the wizard that is John Williams, I have no idea how he does what he does. The Star Wars music is arguably the most recognisable in all of film mm -hmm. scoring. Yeah. And actually... If you were to make a list on the most recognisable ones, I reckon if you put Star Wars at the top, I reckon the next five or six would still be John Williams yeah, ones. E.T., your Harry Potter. E.T., Harry yeah, Potter, yeah. Superman, Jaws, Jaws yeah. Indiana Jones. Ook. Ook, yeah. 
but you are the pan. <laughs> it, 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 it's it, yeah, you're you are absolutely correct. I, I and he, I mean, he is the 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 entry level of the score music. It's it's there is it's so good that such a high quality artist is being used on such massive properties like this. Yeah. Because he has to use a good phrase, he has set the bar. Yeah. And he that is, is the, the bar. He is the bar. And how many people do you you, you kind of just don't top him really. You no. just don't top him. It's such a unique thing when you really think yeah. about it. You know, it, it it's like it's like it's like a sport where there's one guy who just dominates it and no one can no one can even come close. Yeah. You know, I would say it's it's like New Zealand almost in, in world rugby, <laughs> yes. for example. That's such an apt description. Yeah. Or Roger Federer in tennis. Do you know, it, it's 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 kind of like they're they're out they're out on their own, and people do come close. People have beaten New Zealand and have beaten Federer in the past, but by and large, the this is this that is the what they are the ambassador for what they do and for the the art that they uh, yeah. provide. An interesting, I sent you a photo, and it's a really interesting photo. If definitely Google this, people, and it's it's a someone has taken a photo montage, and it's the nine pictures of John Williams. Uh, on the conductor stand for all nine of the movies, and it's it's actually quite a beautiful photo. Yeah, actually. and it's, to give it's quite, you quite honest, to give you a bit it. of context to the scope of this picture, the first Star Wars score he recorded with the London Symphony Orchestra in 1977. Wow! And he has worked on this singular body of work until 2020. 1977 to 2020 on one singular body of work and there is not a single piece of film media franchise whatever that has had that in regards to film music because the only franchises that are that have that are longer are james bond but like james bond yeah james, james bond has has the theme mm-hmm. and and has been passed around a number of different people and everyone's had their own takes yeah. and the style has changed in generations of Bond, usually signified by the actors playing mm. playing Bond. But Star Wars has been this gradual developing thing right from the word go that he has now that is now culminated in The Rise of Skywalker. And the score for The Rise of Skywalker for me was a little bit of a weird one because it was made as a movie as a ending to a nine movie saga mm-hmm. as a three trilogy saga and so when you think of about it like that if you imagined all of those stories in one book it would be the last like 100 pages yeah of a 900 page book yeah i mean could you imagine getting to the last 100 pages of a 900 page book and then having new themes and new ideas being introduced to make you feel new stuff you couldn't Mm. really imagine that could you no no you'd want the themes that you have spent 800 pages living with to be developed and then closed and that's uh, and that's something that I think Williams did really really well. The vast majority of everything you hear on the soundtrack is all themes that we've heard before. We've heard Leia's theme, we heard Han and Leia's theme. We've got the the Force theme, um, Ray's theme. All of these themes because every character has like 
and theme and they all intertwine in the most masterful way they de- yeah they definitely yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah so it's probably the star wars movie with the least amount of new material in fact if you go to the soundtrack on itunes or spot on spotify or wherever you listen and i highly recommend you do there for me there's really only one track that is brand new material and that's i think track three or four or something and it's called the rise of skywalker it's mm-hmm. the title of the movie and it's like this really optimistic friendship theme and then i I started listening to the soundtrack immediately after I watched the movie for the first time and I and I and I lived with it and I listened to the soundtrack loads of times before I saw the movie the second time and as I was watching the movie the second time I was listening out for this brand new theme because I thought that's a really gorgeous piece of music and it doesn't happen until the heroes won Oh. It doesn't actually happen it gets hinted at okay very very briefly when the whole gang get together and go out on their adventure, sure, right? Yeah. Before the stakes get really high, it's mm-hmm. still quite, it's still finding its rhythm. The movie, and it's tiny little bit there, but the full theme doesn't happen until after the emperor gets killed and they're all flying away in victory, and then you get the whole suite. And I think that's very, very deliberate because he's basically saying the adventure is over, the heroes have won. Welcome to this new world. Mm, okay. And everything else we've we've had before is the ending of all the themes that we've heard in the last yeah. 40-ish years. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, my that's take. A, no, that's, that's my a, hot take. That's that's a that's a really good point actually you make. And and I I can't speak for the Rise of Skywalker theme that you talk about specifically. It's something I didn't pick up on, but I know exactly what you mean when you said it comes. It rounds off character themes in this movie. Yeah. Um. So a, a personal favorite theme of mine is the Leia theme. Oh, gorgeous. And that featured so beautifully throughout this movie. Yeah. And it, it happened twice. Um. During Ray and Leia scenes, and obviously during the the deaths, the death sequence of Leia. Yeah. So beautiful, and it 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 really really gets to you. I mean, Binary Sunsets is one that that I always thought was my favorite, but the Leia theme really. For some reason, very recently, I've been listening to it again and again. It, it, it just, it, it, it's. I think it is a more complex theme because it does change around. It, it it's not. It, it, it's, it's, it's not standard. It, it does. It flips backwards and forwards between keys almost, and it, and it sort of yeah. changes is its way around. And I think that's. Be- I think it's a really, really unique and beautiful piece of music yeah. another character theme which is a new character theme for this was the the, the ben solo's character theme yeah uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the the major addition of this from what was originally a minor key uh, turning to a major key but then, at the end well yeah but now you've caught yourself out there because you said new theme it's not actually a new theme it's, is it for, for this sorry for this trilogy Oh yeah! Oh yeah! For so, the trilogy. Sorry, I, ah, I must reiterate. It's a go. new theme for this trilogy. Sorry, it, it wasn't. Yes, sorry. Yeah, it's it, it, which was originally a minor key for 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 uh, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and 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 was played in in a more major. And I thought that was I, I thought that was very very clever. Yeah. Again, the using the music not just to accompany what's going on on screen, but to tell the story of what's going on screen. How can a musical score tell you that a character has shifted Mm. from evil to good by lighting it changing the orchestration in different ways these are all creative decisions that john williams made and you don't get that level of detail 
in other film composers and things you just don't <laughs> I, th I think to try and wrap up there let, let's try and take that phrase that you just said there john williams obviously gets told the story and he is very well briefed on the story yeah but do you think at any point in time someone poo-poos any idea he has john williams in the same way i that, can't imagine that's the thing <laughs> do you think do, do you think when everyone gets their their notes back from their ideas their forecast for what they think the movie should include and shouldn't include at no point do you think disney shut down any of his ideas i can't imagine but Obviously, I don't. Obviously, I don't know him. I would love to meet John Williams one day. It'd be the greatest moment of my life yeah. to meet John Williams. But I've seen lots of interviews with him, and I've heard him talk about his collaboration with, especially Steven Spielberg, which whom he's done the most number of film scores with. But he's always he's always been the most critical voice of his own work, and he's always been the one to say is this working is it not like and everyone else is literally like mate you're john williams like yeah well you do it steven spielberg at some point we're going to talk about et the extraterrestrial but just as a tiny little bit thing now when they made the the last 20 minutes of et the extraterrestrial john williams said he wasn't entirely satisfied with how the end sequence was playing out and so steven spielberg said to him okay well you give me the music how you would like to have it structured and how you'd like it to play out and we'll recut the the movie around that i'm saying it now no other film composer has that um, that amount of clout no not no, a single yeah. not a single one yeah I think that's a nice place to end it there. Uh, Absolutely. I think that's, 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 I, yeah, I really enjoyed listening to that actually. I think I, I, we haven't actually talked about this touch and I know that, I know that John Williams is, you are a huge, huge fan of his. Yeah. We will, this is by no means the last time we will talk about it. Oh, and God, I don't no. think the last time we'll talk about Star Wars. I do think we will go oh, back yeah. and visit them there. And actually when we do end up doing something like A New Hope or Empire, there will be so much more of the music in there. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about the Rise of Skywalker's movie and also how it functions, how the score functions yep. with it. Yep. But we'll get much more into depth with like other episodes, I think. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. So, for this, the first film review that I'm going to give, or music film review I'm going to give for 2020, I have decided to go for what I am going to say now, and I, uh, knowing me, I'll probably then record this decision a couple of a couple of months in or a couple of years in when I find <laughs> a, mov a movie that has better music in it. But I will, will go as far to say, I think this is the movie, in my opinion, that has the best... Uh, music the best soundtrack in it and i'm not talking film score i'm talking soundtrack uh i i must i must be very clear with that one <laughs> purely because i am a huge fan of folk music it's a real uh hobby of mine i love playing folk music and i, I love listening to folk music and, I, and some of my most favorite folk musicians appear in this movie or play in this movie um 
the film is inside Lewin Davis, not Llewellyn Davis. Hooray! He said it. I can't tell you how long I've been telling him off for saying Llewellyn. His name's not Llewellyn. I don't know why I used to say that, but anyway, inside, inside. Llewellyn's a more common name. Llewellyn, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. Inside Llewellyn, uh, Lewin. Just, oh, you inside, did it. Inside Lewin Davis. So um, I watched this movie over the holidays with my with my. Uh, with my mum and, and she, she she didn't like it as much as I did and my, so my mum didn't like it no, either she was like it's too it's too grey it's too bleak that is why it's brilliant yes correct it is <laughs> so beautiful because it's so bleak it is you're watching a bridge burning master there's something so amazing about that there um, the link between this movie and that, obviously you were your link was Buzz Lightyear, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Ranger sort of thing, and I uh, that's fair. Yeah, let's I, let's go with that. I've, it's not it's not because I just wanted to have a chat about Star Wars or anything. Nah, I, that that can't be. Look at me, just, I do all the heavy lifting on this podcast. <laughs> so my link for this week is um, there, there's a little bit airy fairy, but actually there there is actually quite a, quite a a, a a deep link between About a Boy and Lone Davis, which is characters who are in some way living with loved ones who are suffering from mental health yep. or depression or suicide yeah and both about a boy which obviously features the relationship between marcus and marcus's mum who is heavily depressed lewin davis is in a far worse situation where he it is revealed at the end of the movie to to those who are spoiler straight in that he has gone to the, the next stage where he is now suffering through life having lost a close friend and collaborator something that or his partner his partner you you just cannot you just cannot imagine what he's going through and there's some there's some beautifully honest pieces of dialogue in this movie that su that summarize that particularly the days where he says he threw himself off the washington bridge andy's reaction was must have, what is he calls my pussy if you were anyone, you would have thrown yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge. And you're just like, oh, oh my God. God. Like, what what a dark but amazing, what amazing writing. Yeah, so, I mean, it was written by the Coen Brothers, Coen right? Brothers, yeah. Co I mean, the Coen Again, Brothers... knocking it out of the park. Knock, knocking it out of the park. Uh, leaning heavily on their folk music. Irish folk music appears quite a lot in this movie. Much Which like, they're quite fans of, right? Quite fans, yeah. Much like Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, which we talked about, we talked about in our first episode. Sold this, sold this film to my parents as an anatomy film. It's the insides of Lewin Davis. Uh, they <laughs> anatomy <laughs> film. The what, what on earth did they think they were getting into? And then I thought, no, it's not. It's just basically Poe Dameron wandering the New York in winter in the sixties with Captain Marvel's cat, occasionally singing with Kylo Ren about not wanting to go back to space. Yes, and he has a much more impressive beard than in Star Wars as well. <laughs> The, the the hair the facial hair and, and hair in general is amazing in this movie. I think Carrie Mulligan particularly nails the sixties fringe. I'm and disappointed Justin Timberlake didn't grow a beard though. Yeah, yeah. I want to see Justin Timberlake with a beard. I know he's <laughs> Justin Timberlake, so it's not on brand for him to have a beard. But come on, just once, Justin, please for me. <laughs> okay, so I've got a lot to say. I did a lot of research in this movie. It just. It, it fills me with melancholy watching this movie and I am never happier than when I'm in a state of melancholy and ponder. Yes, yeah, but that's totally right. And the music is, for the first time, I think 60% of this movie. It, it, this is one of the well, very movie, rare occasions. It's a, it's a movie about music. But this is but of, of all the cinematography, the acting, the screen work, the drama, 
the biggest star is the music of this movie. Yeah. As far as, far as and this is very few occasions where th this actually happens. The song choices actually dictate the flow and the regime of what the movie's about and how you will leave feeling it. But before I get onto that, I'm going to talk a little bit about Bone T. Burden. Uh, born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1948. So he was the music producer for this. So he is a very, very enriched folk, uh, in, in the folk music scene there. So is he... And is yeah. he more um, in the folk music world as opposed to the film? No, no. So he is. So he is. In, he is. His feet in firmly in both camps. Oh, okay. Uh, so he's basically famous for being a neo traditionalist country rock and and, and music producer. Uh, but he's also as a songwriter, he's known for his clever lyrics and themes of spirituality and political comment. Right. So you can see that instantly that leads itself to the Bob Dylan folk scene there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and but Bob Dylan's a character in this well, movie. Well, that's it. As well, so isn't he? And so I said, much like the times are changing, Bob Dylan appears at the end. Uh, he was a so so uh, back to uh, T Bone Burnett. Sorry, I think I said Bone T T Bone Burnett. Uh, he was originally a, a member of Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder Review, which was a concert tour in 75 and 76 by Bob Dylan and other musician collaborators. And now, if you want to know more about this and T-Bone Burnett's uh, a role with Bob Dylan and, and the Rolling Thunder Review, there is a Netflix documentary released last year by Martin Scorsese titled The Rolling Thunder Review A Bob Dylan Story by Martin Scorsese okay and, and and so if you want more information on him and what that was but that gives you an idea of of who the the the, the, the musical minds were behind this beautiful beautiful movie so as I said Hang Me Oh Hang Me this is where it starts this is the song that stayed with me the longest because it's the opening song of this movie now it, it shows that this movie was based very loosely on the memoirs of David Van Ronk, who is a, a very famous folk musician who does uh, a, an amazing cover of the song Hang Me, Oh Hang Me. Uh, and, and if you listen to uh, Dave Van Ronk's original version of the song, you can see that Oscar Isaacs has leaned very heavily. If you, if you compare the two of them together, yeah. they are almost identical. I mean, there's a couple of turns of phrase and maybe uh, some of the syncopation doesn't quite line up. But then I think it's all uh, original performances, isn't it? This movie? Yes, yes, yes. So it is Oscar Isaac. Yes, yes, yes. And I really like yeah. that. So, is he playing as well? So, so Lewin Davis is... Yeah, yes, he is. Yes, he, he absolutely is. I love and I'll get, I'm going to get to a, a, an interesting thing at the end there. So basically, as, as I said, so I've got a, an article here. Now, this was, a, this was a blog written by Chimes Freedom, and it's available on Google. Highly encourage anyone to, to, who is interested in Hang Me or Hang Me and the story of how that, that, that song made it to this movie and, and what it means to the Coens and inside Lewin Davis here. I'm just going to do a quick quote from it here. So basically, Von Ronk did not write this song. If you look uh, for further information, many places, just like it is listed as traditional, the song Hang Me, Oh Hang Me has a long history that takes a number of twists and turns. There are variations on the song with different titles. These titles include I've Been All Around This World, The Gambler, My Father Was a Gambler, and The New Railroad. It's also sometimes called Kate Gerdo, and I can't pronounce Gerdo is how he says it in the song. Uh, this this song's line, I've been all, all around Kate Gerdo, and another version specifies the location of the singer's last stand-up in uh, On the Blue Ridge Mountains. So the Grateful Dead do a song as well called I've Been All Around This World. Yeah. So it, it's everywhere, and that's a theme throughout this movie. Well, what you've hit on there is really what the genre 
of folk music is. Mm. Folk music is about musicians taking a song, taking a tune, taking a song, making it their own, and then sending it back out into the world yeah. for other artists yeah. to comment on. It's it, which I think is what makes it so personable, so intimate. Mm. Folk music is because you really get. It's not necessarily that artist's song, but they're communicating it in their very individual way. And then, of course, it, then it gets commented by other people. You just listed about seven or eight different versions of the same song oh, so that, yeah. that that just really proves my point there, there, there's there is so many examples of this of this song cropping up throughout history and, and as you say it is people taking it taking their inspiration and running with it the next song i'm going to talk about is fare thee well now fare thee well is the song that appears in two different styles as a duet and as a solo song in this movie the solo song is a little more somber and the duet is a nice, upbeat, but quite also uh, a, a beautifully sorrow-filled anthem towards. Uh, and I've, I've got, I've got it here. It, it's, it's the story of, and it, it's quite, a, quite a sad story if you look at the original, the original lyrics. Because I, I, I'm reading. If you read on on the Wikipedia Wikipedia page for Dink's song, it tells the song of a woman deserted by her lover when she needs him the most. Yeah, so it's uh, quite it's quite a sad song. Well, I like what you said about how the duet and the solo version of the sound made you feel very very different things, because after all, it's the same chord sequence mm -hmm. and it's the same lyrics. Mm -hmm. But isn't it interesting how like when somebody performs something in a different way, it makes you feel different things, even though the content is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, and it it shows how it's almost like he's put his barriers up now. He, he, he will never sing it in the same um, tempo as he did whilst he was singing it in a duet. Because he, And even when he's at, over at the friend's house... and, and That's and she, such a powerful scene. It's such it? a powerful scene when she, she wants to join in, she wants to sing, and he goes, you know, stop, what are you doing? And it, it really hurts him. What do, you think about, what, what do you think about his reaction? Is he, is he like, justified in... In, in that reaction, do you think he overreacts? <laughs> it's something yeah. that I've kind of flip-flopped on. Because yeah. I've seen this movie quite a few times as well. And it's something I've flip-flopped on. Sometimes I'm like, oh, come on, mate, don't be a dick. They, yeah. they, 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 they <laughs> yeah. like the song. They're giving you their home. Like, just let them have a wee sing song. I, 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 fall on that, I fall on that side of, of the argument. And, and you look, beggars can't be choosers. I mean, this guy doesn't even have a winter coat. Like, he, he, yeah. he, he doesn't have anywhere to sleep. So you have no... You, you can't go around... And as I said, he's a professional bridge burner yeah. throughout the movie, and that is case in point. Well, it's his big. It's one of his big problems, like with his characters. He takes his art so seriously. Yeah, but yes. he can't. Yes. But he can't get anywhere with it. It's one of the great tragedies of his character. Uh huh. Because obviously, at the at the end of the movie. He gives it all up. Yes, yeah. He? Merchant Navy, back to the Merchant Navy, and this must be terrifying. Yeah, for musicians to watch this, this, this. I could see why musicians would hate this movie and turn off from this movie. Well, yeah. There's th this movie terrifies me as a as a professional musician because I'm yeah. not the same kind of artist as Lewin Davis is. I'm not a songwriter. I don't create my own music. I play 
other music that people put in front of me, other people's music. And then for classical music, like Beethoven and Mozart, I interpret that music and perform it in my own way. That's that's what I do. I don't create new things. But navigating your way through the industry, being noticed, and those aspects of things that this movie explores really terrified me. Mm. But it's not the same world no, that no. we're living in now as back then. So I, I, I see the movie for what it is. And also, I'm obnoxiously stubborn and I will not give up. So <laughs> no movie's going to make me shit my pants. You know, you, you, you have the, the, the... There's a great comparison where you... Justin Timberlake's character and um, I, I, I found the, uh, the the other at that is, is Stark Sands character who is the, uh, the 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 army private who comes and and stays on the sofa that yeah, when yeah. Carrie Mulligan you can see that, that Stark Sand and, and and Justin Timberlake's characters are n- inherently nice guys yeah. they're nice guys and and actually that's getting them somewhere that kind of personableness is getting them somewhere. And Lewin refuses to play the game. Yes. He's just like in his in his songs and he refuses. You can see the visceral reaction he has when he's asked to record a TV ad. Is it a TV ad? Yes. That he records yes. with uh, Justin Timberlake? No, oh, uh, the Mr. Kennedy song. Yes. No, well, so that's, yeah, I've got notes on that one there. But, oh, I, right, know, okay. but I know what you're saying. Yes. But in the scene, you can see it on it's his a, face. It's a he's, hokey song. He's hating it. Yes. He's like, if I do, if I do this, I'm a sellout. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Sometimes you gotta do it. Before we before we get onto that, a few more points. So fairly well, we're talking. You did an interesting thing with me where you said because I watched this for the first time with you, who had already yeah. seen this movie, and you said whilst we're watching Dink Song fairly well, you said, "Who is the guy who's singing with him?" And I recognised the voice, but I couldn't put it to it, and it was the most frustrating <laughs> thing. And I think I said something. Stu- I can't remember who I originally who I said. I think I said someone completely off left field, but. Of course, it's Mar- Marcus Mumford. Yeah, beautiful inclusion, beautiful inclusion of this, and the. Account- I mean, Mumford and Sons are the biggest bridge between popular and folk music yes. in in the twenty first century. I yeah. would say. Yeah. Not the biggest fan, but no. shh, it's fine. It's fine. He's got a lovely voice. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to Edinburgh Uni. Did he? Yeah, I think, oh, I think now he went to I Edinburgh, feel Edinburgh Uni. I think, oh. I think he did. Well, I, I've got a, I've got a story and put a few drinks in me, and I'll tell you about the time I met him. And that is God, it would take a few more drinks. I've is, heard that story. It is a, quite an odd, quite an odd situation actually that I remember finding myself in. Listeners, imagine, <laughs> imagine the most embarrassing story of someone who you've never seen by the voice you've by the voice you've heard on a podcast having some sort of encounter with Marcus Mumford. And just go with that as fact. It doesn't matter. You don't need to hear the truth. Whatever version you have in your head will be absolutely fine. Because I had mud all down me, and I was so drunk. Wouldn't be the first time, mate. Wouldn't be the first time. Um, Okay. Do you need a minute? Okay. I just just think of that as 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 if I was trying to... Tell someone that I met Marcus Mumford once in a serious manner. I could never do that. No. Because it was so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. Yeah, it wasn't backstage at the Royal Albert, was it, mate? Okay. So, fairly well. Uh, the Punch Brothers feature as the accompaniment on this, which is Chris Thiles' band. Now, Chris Thiles, um, a mandolin 
player. Virtuoso. I think we can say he that. He's a mandolin virtuoso. Supreme. And I remember I, I received tickets to see him for Christmas one year and I was so excited to go. And I think the week before, his plane flying from Denmark couldn't make it into Edinburgh. And so oh, I, the, the show was cancelled. Oh. And so he is my now top of the list of artists who is still touring I want to see and I have still not yet seen. It's Chris Style, Punch Brothers. The other one being Nickel Creek, which was his old band, which I do think is probably my most favourite folk music band with elements of country through it. Anyway, back to Lewin Davis. The next song I want to briefly touch on was a beautiful uh, trio, Carrie Mulligan, Justin Timberlake and Stark Sands rendition of 500 Miles. Hedy West's original 1963 almost one-hit wonder. Now, the original version of this song is just her and she accompanies herself, Hedy West, with her five-string banjo. But this is a very different version of this song. This is more of a, a, a Mary, Peter and John version. If you, and so the Mary, Peter and John version of it, if you haven't listened, is, is probably more closer to this. Yeah. Um, religious tendencies almost, quite a sort of angelic... Uh, look about um, Carrie Mulligan during this and because uh, as it focuses in on her when she's singing the not a shirt off by back not a penny to my name verse and yeah. the camera beautifully pans in on her and there's a light shining down on her as if she is quite a, an honest and an angelic soul and we later find that she couldn't oh be further from the truth it's, which is really incredible funny. and and there's the be- most beautiful thing about this song is when Lewin's watching, obviously Lewin's expecting that it's him who's having to go up and do it. And he goes, I'd like to invite someone on stage who's been a real inspiration oh, to me. And he goes, doesn't he like reach for his guitar or <laughs> something like that? He just shouts, I, I don't have my guitar. And I love that. I think that's that just oh, sums cringe. his character up so beautifully. He's so egocentric. And as he's watching it, the owner of the club is sat next to him. And as this beautiful moment of Carrie Mulligan singing this verse... He goes, oh, they're not half bad. And, you know, and Davis goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. goes, and he goes, I forgot, I forgot her name. Is it, I forget her name in the car. He goes, I'd really like to fuck her. And oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> instantly. It's just, it's such a perfect line for such, because he's really having a moment looking at Carrie Mulligan on the screen and, yeah. and, and, and on the stage, sorry, and really yeah. just having a moment. It's Speaking so of the stage, funny. I've got this. I've got one tangent to go down. Do you remember the name of the venue? Yes, Gaslight. Yes, and where else do we know the, the marvelous this Mrs. Maisel? Yes, it is. It is amazing. Because, it's the same place. Yeah, and I watched the the show for Mar- marvelous Mrs. Maisel and this film for the first time, uh, almost in tandem. Amazing show with amazing yeah. music, and that looks at more the comedy side of what the Gaslight in. But society wise, it not too far away, like. You know, when is Lewin Davis set? The 60s? Yes, 60, uh, 61, 63. 63? 63. Well, you know, yes. Maisel is the late 50s to, I think, season three now they've entered the 60s. Yeah, they have, yes. So we're really talking about a very similar time period here. Mm, mm. Maybe Lewin Davis will make an appearance. Oh, in, could you... uh, that would be an interesting crossover. What if. How I mean, would they'd, that have, be? they'd have to change the tint on the cameras. I know, but if, imagine that in a background shot of Lewin Davis. Maybe there's a throwaway. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaacs is there. It doesn't even have to be a featured role, it just has to be Oscar Isaac playing on stage that with guitar. Be, okay, people. And just having are, nothing. People who are writing. Marvellous Mrs. Maisel, get a scene where Susie Meyerson goes back to the gaslight yeah. and in the background you've got Oscar Isaac, hang me or oh, hang me. That would be awesome. Yeah, don't make a feature of it. Just no. have him there. And then people that know will know 
and the people that don't, it's not going to affect them. <laughs> the next song I want to talk about is Please Mr. Kennedy. Now, yeah. This one is a, this is a brilliant song and a, and a real moment of, of light heart, a light-hearted moment in probably what is quite a bleak movie. Yeah, definitely a bleak movie. Now, the, the, the person who brings the lightheartedness of this scene is it's 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 the the sort of the um the, the, the grouchiness of Lewin Davis, the optimism of uh Justin Timberlake, and the downright oddness of Adam Driver. Yeah. And it's a brilliant little chemistry the three of them have because they all have their own perceived interpretations of what this song is, with Justin Timberlake being very earnest about this and sincere. Um, Adam Driver clearly just, I think, is off in his own world as a character. He does yeah. seem quite a dim-witted almost character. And Lewin Davis, who just takes himself too seriously and cannot be seen to be doing these jovial songs. Oh, it's driving him mad. It is, it? it is. And it, it's really fun to watch him there. So I've got a quote from it. Now, this is a Huffington Post article, so please excuse me. Fantastic. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a small transcript from an interview between Adam Driver, Oscar Isaacs, T-Bone Burnett, and I believe uh, Justin Timberlake is, maybe, I don't know if he's a part of this here. But T-Bone Burnett says a really, really interesting quote. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it from this. He said, uh, with regards to Please Mr. Kennedy, it is a joke song, but here's the thing. Even if a song is supposed to be bad in a film, it still has to be great. Because if you put a bad film, uh, a bad music in a film, it's just bad. The film is bad. You can put good music in a film and say it's bad and the audience will believe it's bad, but it will still be good and they will still be entertained by it even though they're told it's bad. And on top of that, underneath all of that, it really is great. Okay, just, I am just, I'm just saying here for a second, unraveling all the double negatives in that it, it's a, I, I love that. I read that and I went, that's an amazing... I think I understand it conceptually. <laughs> Let me give you another example. So we... we um, Monty Python and the Life of Brian... What a movie. Now, what is one of the most recognisable things that stayed away from that, besides from he's not the Messiah, he's a naughty boy? I was boy. literally about to say that. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Isn't it? I wasn't thinking of that bit. There's so many great lines. I was thinking of Biggest Dickus. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, throw him to the floor. What? Uh, throw him to the floor. Oh yes, throw him to the floor. Throw him. Throw him to the floor. Uh, he did so. Yes, he did. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but always look on the bright side of life is a great example of a silly song that has just stood the test of time because it is a great song. Amazing. Song. And, and and this is this is an example of this. Now I would encourage listeners to go onto YouTube. Um, so there is a phone, it's someone has recorded it with their phone and, and I'm going to get onto what they were recording, but it's basically a live version of Elvis Costello, Oscar Isaacs, Justin Timberlake, Adam Driver and the Punch Brothers doing this one live. And it is fantastic. And hearing the audience's reaction, laughing away at Adam Driver's very animated performance, getting all the different quirks of this song out is really, really fun. Yeah. The next song I would like to talk about is 
a very, very different song from Please Mr. Kennedy. Oh, one more thing about Please Mr. Kennedy that I really like is the, the, the ludicrousy of the lyrics, Please Mr. Kennedy, don't send me into outer space, because this is obviously the age of the space yeah. thing that's going on there. But the original song comes from, and I don't know, I think it's a very different style of song, but the lyrics are, Please Mr. Kennedy, don't send me to Vietnam. Oh right, so that's okay. Where, that's kind of where it kind of comes from. Ah. Please, Mr. Kennedy, don't some and so and so the, and the, and that's the kind of link uh, between between those two there. Um, anyway, sorry, back to what I was saying now. So so the next song I would like to talk about is a very very somber song indeed for an incredibly delicate motion in the movie, which is the death of Queen Jane. So this is the song where he has made his way, beg, borrow, and stolen his way across the US in the winter yeah. to get to Chicago. It's such a depressing sequence like in the movie as well. So many of the things are just desperate about that. The fact that he's hitching a ride with his two other guys going to Chicago, one of whom is a pretty reprehensible human yeah, being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In um what's his name again? John 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 Goodman. John Goodman, yeah. yeah. He's incredible in this role. But he is a reprehensible character. Like he, everything he says is just horrible. Yes, isn't it? And you, and you, you just have to, and you get the sense of imagine being stuck with this guy in a car for yeah. How many hours does it take to drive from? Oh, I mean, I mean, days. You're, you're looking at days in yeah. those days. I mean, yeah. and 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 well, I mean, in any days, but in that time yeah. of year as well. Yeah. Well, and again, and throughout. All you see outside are these just bleak, grey, snow-covered landscapes. They're driving through a blizzard at one point. They stop at a pretty much deserted service stop at one point. It Just everything looks dark and bleak, and you really get a sense of Lewin nearly hitting rock bottom. Oh, yeah. Even though he's going to Chicago for, like, his... Safe to say his, like, one last shot, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I watching this with my uh, with, with my family, there was a there was my family are <laughs> my family are one of those families. I'm sure you all are part of one of these families where when you watch a movie together, everyone has to have their fucking say throughout it. Everyone has to say, "Oh, I hope he does this," and I hope he does. shut up, mum. Everything, <laughs> my mum. <laughs> I bless her, but throughout the whole movie, even though she you. You don't realise it until the Chicago scenes. She's going, oh, I hope he gets somewhere. I hope he gets... Do you know, because... And you're like... Could you imagine... You, could you imagine if this movie ended with Lewin Davis on top of the pops? Exactly. It just wouldn't make sense, exactly. would it? If you honestly think that that's how this movie is going to end, you've not been paying attention. Yeah, you've not been watching. You've, you've, not... Been, you've been watching a different movie. You've been watching music and lyrics with Hugh Grant. <laughs> that too many times have we referenced that before <laughs> i don't know we're talking about you grand if, if if we've mentioned music and lyrics more than once we need to do a whole episode on it i've not even <laughs> seen it Ugh. oh i'll have to sit you down uh, then yeah okay okay fine so death of queen jane let me give you a bit of information about this song so it's an old english and sometimes scottish ballad describing the events of the death of Queen Jane, or in the Scottish version, Janie. Now, it's believed that this is potentially the death of Jane Seymour, the third wife of Henry VIII. I was going to ask. I was like, 
Oh, but I was also very embarrassed because I'm like, I'm Scottish as well. Why didn't I know that we had a queen called Janie? So, the melody used in this movie, and it's a it's a beautiful melody on his guitar that that Lewin Davis uh, put to this is by uh, Dathy Sproul, and I can't. I'm probably butchering that name there. I'm gonna have have a show that it's D- Dathy Dathy Sproul. I'm not going to attempt it. I'll let you embarrass yourself. <laughs> I encourage you to look it up. I'm probably getting it wrong there. But what's really interesting about the the death of Queen Jane as a song is what you said before, is that everyone's had their go at this song. Everyone's added to this yeah. traditional folk song. But this is an old song. This, this song goes back. I mean, if you think of the content of this song... I, I couldn't find it. No one really has been able to... It's been very difficult to track down the original writer of this song. Yeah. I firmly believe it was hundreds of years ago this was probably written. Yeah, I mean, I've played um, quite a few traditional Scottish fiddle tunes and things like that. And so often, where it says songwriter or, or composer at the top of the page, it just says trad. Trad- yeah. it, it just says traditional. Yeah. Nobody knows where a lot of these tunes came from. They just get passed down and eventually somebody wrote it down for the first time but before that you'll have had generations yeah of people just playing it and passing it on by word of mouth or just by teaching others how to play it and yeah. just by ear and things like that but that's that's folk music that's traditional music and i think because of the the medieval content of this this particular song it lends itself to that almost nobody really knows where this came from because it is such an old song style that you know that we're, we're, we're talking about there i'm going to give a small recommendation karine plower in 2017 recorded a very very haunting version of this as a scottish the scottish version of this song with just a singular drone of bagpipes in the background oh gorgeous and it is oh but it's so haunting and it really gets you because the the, the clarity of her voice is so pure and it's so so uh, morbid almost, oh you're, but it's, you're it's, gonna have you're gonna have to show me that it, when we it, when it, finish i highly encourage you to listen to it actually but pours his heart into this beautiful old traditional song the guy's playing too takes a pause for a second looks and then just says i don't see any money here yeah oh and you're just like and it's that is way, the point. f murray abraham is F. Murray Abraham? Is yeah. It? Oh, okay. Interesting. Interest. I, I, I love him. I remember you t- I told I love, me. I, I love him as actor. He's got such a small part in this, but I just love me, him yeah. every, everything I see him in. And, but what a pivotable, sorry, pivotable, what a pivotal <laughs> part. It's pivotal and pitiable. Yes. Yeah, that, <laughs> maybe, those are the two words you were trying to say. <laughs> as, if, as if I could have even said pitiable. Yeah. I can't even say it now. You're so dyslexic that you that you put a perfect point and you made up a word for it. I've got to applaud you, mate. You are so much better, more eloquent than me when you talk. <laughs> to write everything down, even then I fuck it up the wall. Oh, um, but I, but that that point just broke me. That yeah. that was that was the bleeding and the breaking point of the movie, and then it's cut in with the the whole uh the the, the last song i'm going to talk about in detail what that's the uh, the shoals of herring yeah where he visits his dad at the old seaman's mission uh now th- this is I, I believe originally written by ewan mccall why do you know the name mccall 
McCall. Well, I know several real people with McCall, but I also know of a newsagent chain <laughs> no, it's called McCall's. McCall's. No. no, no, no. I'm talking specifically musician McCall. McCall? Uh-huh. Bonnie Wee Jeannie McCall? No, no, you're close. You're, I think you get, you're, you're, you're getting closer. Kirsty McCall. Oh. Fairy Tale of New York. Oh, yeah. Now, See, I've... you put me on the spot, so I went to the newsagents <laughs> where I'd buy my Mars bars, and then I went to... Where else Bonnie Wee Jeannie. Bonnie Wee Jeannie McCall. Uh, fine, we lost. <laughs> the Bonnie Wee lost is Bonnie Wee Jeannie McCall. I gave him a mother's engagement ring and a Bonnie Wee... No, that's not it, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonnie Wee Tartan Show. I met her at a wadden in the corporation hall. I was the best man, man and, and she was, was the belle of the ball. Hey! <laughs> love that they were singing that and slight tangent very famous scottish folk musician who plays on the first of january every single year in our hometown he uh very famous scottish musician called davy holt highly encourage you to listen to him he's fantastic he does a great version of body bgd mccall does he actually yeah he does it it's oh, so good yes. he does it between some burn songs and he's, he is so talented um <laughs> and he, a, little, a, bit, a little bit of local plugging there so Ewan McCall, who, who lives in a... Ama- who, who, the, the, the guy who wrote the song Shoals of Herring, um, he is an interesting guy. Again, I, another shout out. I highly encourage you to go, a suggestion, sorry, and listen, uh, re- read about his story. It's a, it's a really amazing story of a man who was born in England to Scottish parents. Uh, and he has had many different bands cover his, his work, such as the Dubliners and personal folk Scottish favourites of mine, the Corries who do a beautiful version of Shoals of Herring. Yeah. But Shoals of Herring is essentially a story of uh, a man going out to sea and dreaming of of fish and, and, and the shoals of Herring and joining the crew of a ship. And he says, now you're up on deck, you're a fisherman. We've... And, and, and it, go, it goes on, it's a beautiful, beautiful song that, that uh, basically just shows the fixation of whoever wrote this piece of music and how dependent when it was written, uh, when it was written that... Music pertaining to their job by the shows of Herring, that is their whole life. Yeah. Herring was the, the person who wrote this song or, or where this song originally came from. And I firmly believe Ewan McCall didn't write it, but he was the guy, as you say, who wrote it down and took yeah, the credit. Yeah, yeah. But this is a song that was probably sung on Herring fishing boats throughout the UK for, for generations. And it just shows what an amazing... Uh, backstory that this song has. Sorry, that you, can you fucking put that onto airplane mode? It's beyond even my iPad. Put it onto airplane mode. You don't need it. Right, swipe down from the top. How do I do this? Right, hit the button. Swipe down from the top. <laughs> that doesn't work. Why isn't it working? You've only made it bigger. It's in airplane mode. Oh, I'm gonna right, take it to right, the right. other right. No, okay. there, there, it's gone. It's off. It's not gonna. It's not gonna beep anymore. Anyway, that brings that brings me nice. That <laughs> that brings me nicely to the end of there. Now I didn't get a chance to go into other songs in this movie, like uh, All Triangle, Green Green Rocky Road, The Last Thing on My Mind, some other amazing folk music. But there just isn't the time to go into these, and, and I barely touched the surface on some of the other things. What I'm gonna leave you with is. Something that came from the movie Inside Lewin Davis, which is a stage show 
called Another Day, Another Time, celebrating the music of Inside Lewin Davis. This was a concert inspired by the Coen Brothers film Inside Lewin Davis, which is set in the 60s Greenwich Village folk music scene, features live performances of the film's music, as well as songs in the early 1960s. Performers include the Abbott Brothers, Joni Bez, Elvis Costello, Dave Rawlings, Machine, Rhiannon Giddens, Lake Street, uh, Lake Street Dive, Colin Melody, The Milk Carton Kids, Marcus Mumford, Punch Brothers, Willie Watson, Jack White, and loads of others, including the main cast of the movie. Uh, and that's what I was referencing when I was telling about the Elvis Costello version yeah. of Please Mr. Kennedy. And there is a beautiful live version of Dink's song, Fare Thee Well. So I would encourage people to try and find out that. It's called Another Day, Another Time, celebrating the music of Inside Lewin Davis. Videos are out there. I found some on YouTube. And I believe you can find this documentary somewhere. But I, I just, this, just to finish off, this movie and the music in this movie does more than just create a story around the characters. This movie takes takes the story of what you're seeing and what is a grim circumstance of movie, but just fills it with emotion and delicacy and patience and balance I firmly believe that the music in this movie and, and T-Bone Barrett's work on this is probably one of the best, if not the best example of specific music and the part it plays in the movie. Yeah, well, the music is a character's movie, just to bring it full circle to what you yeah. said at the beginning. It's absolutely beautiful and I'm definitely going to watch it again, 100%. Nice. So I think we're a bit we're a bit pressed for time this week. So I think keep moving forward a bit shorter. Oh, that suits you because you were in charge this week of moving forward. Oh, so we'll well, keep it nice and short. We'll keep it nice and we'll keep it nice and short. I, you've, you've been moving backwards recently, haven't you? Which oh, has yes. been holding you. I moved so far forward. I'm behind you. That's a terrifying idea. <laughs> okay, well, um, I've I, I got something that I, w I was going to say, but I, I, I would want to hear because I think well, you're going to lead this one this week. Really, for moving forward, moving forward to tomorrow from recording, we're going to see a movie tomorrow, aren't we? Oh, good idea. Yes, we are going to see a movie tomorrow. Yes, and I've been so excited about seeing it. It's 1917. By the time this movie comes out, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, even this episode... 1917 will have swept the Oscars. I'm saying it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to sweep the Oscars, even though I've not seen it, so I don't actually know if it's good or not. But I've been told by people I trust that it's good, so I think it's going to be good. What I'm really interested in... Well, for a start, it's one of the only original movies that have come out like yeah. in, in months. Like yeah. I, remember, I remember when I was in one of the Star Wars screenings, and it was trailer yeah, after trailer I know, I know of sequels and remakes yep, yep. and as much as of a star wars and marvel fan as i am i want to see new stuff as well yeah and 1917 is something that's really grabbed my eye but what i'd like to touch on in relation to our podcast how the music's going to work in it and okay. i'm going to i'm really going to be paying attention to this because a big part of the selling point of this movie or the big vision about how this movie was made is that it's perceived as being one shot. Yes, yes, yes. So it's point of it's point of view one shot, these two sol soldiers on the Western Front of World War One. And 
that it's still that's very very challenging thing to pull off mm. and i'm wondering how the score will feature yeah in the movie how will a movie score that needs to be cut and edited fit in with a one shot story now obviously it's not actually one shot mm, mm. but it's crafted in such a way that the audience perception is that it is and, one and, shot. For, and, and, and therefore for all intensive purposes it is one shot yeah because the, you because when you watch a movie you're not thinking of or you shouldn't think of the scene and i went through a, a horrible phase where i was very much over analyzing movies as to how they managed to do scenes and how they managed to do this yeah. as opposed to actually reveling and enjoying the movies and, yeah, I, yeah. and i consciously make an effort you not don't want to see how the sausages are made you know you, yeah you, of course you don't you, you definitely don't and this what you're saying is an example of actually why that is a really important thing for this specific movie yeah you need to watch this movie like any one shot a piece of art and i'm going to say piece of art as a, as a broad sense because there are some fantastic tv shows that have have used this uh, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what to do. It's this creative motif, if you will, yeah. to 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 enrich an episode of a, of a show overall. It's a just a brilliant thing if you pull it off effectively. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I completely echo with what you're saying. I think yeah. the music will. The, what the music will do is the music will be similar to. Uh, I, I think another example of a war movie that came out recently Dunkirk where yeah. it, it kept you on the edge of your seat it kept the pulse rate the, the, the heart rate uh, uh, going and, and your pulse rate going I think my prediction is the music will add to that exact element I do not yeah. plan to touch the back of my seat in this movie oh yeah it's going to be a pretty tense experience what I would love to experience as far as the music is concerned in 1917 though is a perceived Start start of the movie, start of the score. Yep. End of the movie, end of the score. As if it was one continuous piece. If they managed to do that in a whole movie, I would be absolutely astounded because I don't think that has ever happened before. Well, I was just about to ask. Can you, is there is there has that ever happened? Can you give an well, example of anything when, where that's been even close to that? I mean, oh, when when a movie starts and it's just one continuous piece yeah. of music, not off the top of my head. And and that is such a mad thing, because imagine sitting down to play that. It would be continuous music, continuous playing for what two two hours, two and a half hours. Yeah. I don't know how long this movie yeah. is yet, but that would that would truly be incredible and would really mimic the making of the movie. Mm. Now the other thing, I don't actually know who wrote the music for nineteen seventeen. And I'll be honest, I don't even know if there is music for 1917 because what also might be very effective is if there's no music at all mm. <laughs> and it's just you're right in the shit of it. Oh, okay. You're, you're right in the muck of it. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I've heard interviews with Sam Mendes. I've watched interviews with Sam Mendes and he says he really wanted the audience, as you said, to be right on the edge of the seat and be really inescapably in the battle in the movie. Mm-hmm. And music can sometimes bring you out of it. It, it's, it can sometimes service it. It can sometimes not. Yeah. 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 I, I, no, I, I, told, I totally So yeah. if there's no music and it's done like that, that will be very, very effective. But if there is music, I would absolutely love it if it was continuously through composed. That would be incredible. So it, it's Thomas Newman. It's Thomas right. Newman. Amazing. Sorry. Sorry I, Incredible. I, 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 when you said, I don't know who it was, I went, 
I, I, I should know this because I was looking this up because it is from Skyfall. And I was going to say, uh, you yeah. know, uh, when, you, when you said Sam Mendes, obviously a uh, famous Bond uh, director currently, because obviously they're marketing this movie with respect to, he was, yeah. he was the man behind Skyfall. Skyfall is a, is a beautiful example where the music in that sets the pace. If you talk about one, one shot scenes, that opening scene of Skyfall, where you have the music of the carnival, the Day of the Dead, yeah. which is cleverly woven in with the Bond theme and the, the tense atmosphere of that one shot of Bond, you know, moving through the carnival yeah. sequence, up through the hotel and stuff. And at no point do I, I have any doubt that Thomas Newman and Sam, Man, uh, Sam Mendes will be able to pull off something glorious. So I'm really excited tomorrow. And yeah, well, good one bringing it up. Yeah, actually. no, that's, that's uh, a great one. Yeah. I'll, I think, and I think... I'll report back on my findings in the next episode. Oh, next, that's a good like, one. Yeah, in the next like moving forward or something. Well, why don't we do nineteen seventeen? As... Well, we can start. We can start it. I'll be like, right, just got like did nineteen seventeen. Uh huh. I don't think do a whole segment on it. I'm not no, sure. Yeah, that's might. a good point. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, what, whatever yeah. happened will happen. Whatever happened. What are do you we... looking forward to? Uh, so I, I've not I've not really got anything that I'm looking forward to at the moment moving forward with, but I did read a really interesting article actually, and it's it, it's a moving away from uh, I guess the, the the war movies and current movies that are coming out right now in, in the cinema and, and the Oscar bait and everything. This is this is something on a, a completely different tangent, and it's a fun question I have for you, and a fun question that I have for the listeners, and I'd like you guys to write into this. So I read a, a recent article that said. XXX, and I'm not going to say which song it is, is the most requested song that is put into James Gunn for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. <laughs> yeah, Alex, has got his, Alex has got his thinking face on. A finger has popped up and he is now smiling. So this, these are movies. and I, Ooh, we, I want we to are guess. Going to, we're going, but, you can guess and we'll, we're going to do this after because I will say the answer. Uh, oh, should I, should I not say the answer? No, or? tell me the answer. Tell the answer. But, but, like when the microphone's off. But the, but <laughs> I, think, I think the listeners will... You'll be able to Google this. It's a Googleable answer. All right. Okay. So, so I, what I will, I will say it, but still write in because we want to. I think this is this is a fun segment. We, uh, on going through the motions, are really keen to start doing a couple of specials episode. And when I make say specials episode, that's where the two of us drop the old format of bringing two different movies together and identifying maybe a, a series of movies or uh, uh, maybe a trilogy of movies. A, a few examples that we've thrown up is The Guardians of the Galaxies 1 and 2, oh, yeah. and the, 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 the genius, I mean, genius use of music in those movies, yeah. which we'll not get into at the moment. Um, and then there's another couple of specials ideas, which we've discussed off air, but we'll surprise you with when it gets to. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the answer to this one. So you're, you're going to love this me. one. So apparently the most requested song, James Gunn, I don't know if it was James Gunn came out with this one, but he said that King Harvest's version of Dancing in the Moonlight is the is the most requested song to feature in Guardians 3. And... Uh, what? Yeah, so, so the original version of Dancing in the Moonlight, everybody's feet. But if you listen... I'm about to embarrass myself. Are you telling me that's not a top loader song? No, King Harvest, oh. and it is when you listen to the I'm song. I'm very embarrassed. When right you now. listen to the original song, viewers, if you uh, listener, sorry, if you have not listened to this, sorry, I just I, it's a slip of the tongue from my TV show that happens. <laughs> viewers, <laughs> listeners, if <Jeez>. you <laughs> as if even viewers, <laughs> who do you think you are, fucking exactly. Conan? <laughs> exactly. 
showed it. Have you seen it? Have you seen this thing? Have you seen it? Uh, if you have not listened to King Harvest's version of Dancing in the Moonlight, listen to it and you will see why this is the most requested for it. But but I, I briefly just on that note talking uh, a little a little bit Marvel. Obviously we've kind of we're kind of in a small hiatus of Marvel at the moment. Yeah, thank God. We uh, we talked a little bit about the black the Black Widows. Uh, a film going forward there but I'm going to take a pause for a second and it's going to feel like it's no pause at all but Alex is going to give you his idea of what he thinks the most requested song should be what song you would want to see in it because I have my answer for this and it's a song that you like but I feel like you haven't been thinking about this all day like I have so oh my I'm going to think it's, or actually I'm not going to pause it I'm going to say mine first and then I'll let you have a second so the real answer is Dancing in the Moonlight Dancing in the Moonlight yeah but this is a fun one so think of what it would be and maybe think of a scene that it should invoke so mine would be Electric Light Orchestra Telephone Line I think that is just a fantastic movie and if you listen that is a really really great song And, and something that I've always thought about is why nobody has taken the works of Jeff Lynne's Electric Light Orchestra and created a musical about it, like a stage musical Yeah. because they tell a story these songs and maybe that's a very ambitious but for me Telephone Line is one that I could just see them working in some sort of slow motion explosion montage as Peter yeah. Quill's walking away from the from the doo-wops section yeah. of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Some, something I look into the skies, I look into your eyes. I, I think that's a really, that, that would be a really, really cool song. Right, you've that had your be, time. I've had my time. Oh, I'm not going to be happy with any answer I give. I'm not going to be happy with any answer I give. I, I know I this, completely is, this is terrible. But this is it. This is what, this is what we want to do. We want to oh. put our nerd to the test live on air go on right. it's gonna do so it so my my initial gut believe in life that, after love share right I know what shut you're saying shut up <laughs> <laughs> I said that'd be really good <laughs> the shoop song does he love me I wanna know <laughs> aqua <laughs> okay go on so the serious answer to this mm-hmm. is I feel like they always do a song about the genre of songs that they always have in these movies, mm-hmm. like that that kind of old, yeah, the seventies, seventies kind of style. Yeah, yeah. So I think Soul Man. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a really good one. The Blues Brothers version. Well, the so uh, the Blues Brothers version. Yeah, that's a really really good version because that song I don't think appears in the Blues Brothers movie. No, it doesn't. But it's in the stage show. Is it in the second the Blues Brothers two thousand? I think I think it does Maybe. appear in two thousand. But but that's a good one because uh, it, yeah, that's that's a really that's a really honest honest choice. Who would be the soul man? Because it could, you could have a funny sort of montage with Peter Quill or Drax or Drax or Thor. You know how because Thor was almost sort of hinting on joining it at the end of Endgame. Oh yeah, there doing as sort of Guardians a, of the Galaxy. As Guardians, there could be a sort of funny montage where the two of them are the Soul Man and they're sort of trying to outdo each other. Yeah, and it has Soul Man playing off in the background as they're sort of trying to trying to earn the affection of the gar- of the Guardians, which I think would be quite a fun sort of montage. Yeah, thing that'd there. be cool. I would, I, would, I was just thinking it would be a cool song. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great stuff. That's a really I didn't talk about that one there. Nice. Cool. Well, I I mean I think that's the end of it. Have you got anything else you want to bring to the board, or are you going to save nope. it for next week? Well, let's save it. I've got a few other things I want to save. I, yeah, I think we're I think we're well over time this week. 
Um, oh, it's been a good chat though. I've really enjoyed this. Good chat this this week. I really enjoy what you're saying about John Williams. Actually, I, I, I will say more about John. Williams. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's something that, uh, the, that we can we can keep the keep the listeners on tenterhooks for the next Oof. installment of that one. What will it be? Do you know? Is it going to be an ET? What, the or next John Jaws? Williams what one. Are you thinking? Oh, I'm not sure. Not sure. I've not thought about it. Okay. Well, I'm sure we can. Uh... <laughs> I very rarely do. <laughs> exactly. What's what's my level of preparation for these things? <laughs> Would you like to give the listeners an insight? <laughs> he stumbled in here with his notes on the back of some sort Alex, of... Alex, have you done any notes? No. no. We went for a kebab. We went for a kebab before this. The classic British night out. We went for a few beers and a kebab and then we're recording this after a few. And he's writing his notes in the kebab wrapper as he's coming in the door. <laughs> with curry sauce down his top. Uh... His new Christmas top. Nah, he's not. He's not. He's looked after. Actually, it's good. Yeah, it's a good. I think that's plenty. I think. I think that's. I think that's plenty. Someone was saying this to me. Other one of the best things about January is how well dressed everyone is because everyone's just got new clothes for Christmas and everyone's back to work. It's so true. It's so good. It's so you look so smart, right? Yeah. Now. You should see. You should see my pants. <laughs> By March, you're going to be wearing them and them alone, and there are going to be holes all through them because oh the God. clothes have just gone. <laughs> okay. Right, guys, that's the podcast, I think. Anyway, thank you very, very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Going Through the Motions. It's episode five, I believe. Wow. Yes, start, it is. Starting to make our way through them. Excellent. Uh, as again, we would love you to. This time, the request is different. We need you now to go and tell a mate because we believe word of mouth is the, is the marketing. Uh, arrow that we're going to try and go yeah. down this Just this imagine, you tell a mate, everyone who currently listens tells a mate, yeah. then they tell a mate. The rate of growth is it's not, I can't even wrap my head around the rate of growth. it's not a pyramid scheme, okay? It's everyone not. keeps saying it's a pyramid scheme. You don't have to give us money. You don't have to try yeah, well, I mean, you know, we could <laughs> 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 We did do that one time. But no, just get everyone else involved. Tell your nan. Your nan would love this. Yeah. She she would she genuinely would love this. And I know she would. The docile tones of Alex talking about John Williams, I think, would just be right up her. She would love that. She'd really appreciate that on there. Tell yeah. your tell your friends. You know, be that guy at work recommending podcasts that no one will listen to, but actually do it. Make sure they listen to it. Tie them yeah. down. And then steal their phone <laughs> and hit subscribe on our podcast <laughs> if they won't do it. Because, you know, sometimes people don't. Yeah. But very seriously though. On Apple, you can leave a, leave us a five star. Yeah, if you if you can, we'd love that. Also, there's a there's a comment section where you can either leave a review on the podcast, or I think much more interesting, tell us your favorite movie score. Oh, that's it. Yes, because see, for Apple, it'll count as a review. They're not yeah. reading it, and, and we get to see what you actually think. And sh- yeah, the the fir- I tell you what, here's the one: the first person. To write their favourite music movie score, I promise I will do it as an episode title. There you are. Great. That's me. I'm gonna. I'm saying it now. And I feel like a lot of these will be if if people actually write in and say what their their favourite scores are. I reckon some of them will be quite interesting. We'll read them out. Yeah, we'll we'll read them. We'll out. read them out. I don't. I don't. I don't mind doing Jaws for the revenge. Okay, I can do it. Is that I'm what sure. it's called? I don't know. Right. Yeah, because it's Michael Keane. Uh, Michael Keane is in it. Mike, is he? Yeah, Michael Keane's in it. Yeah. Oh, dear he goes to famous quote of "I just did it for the money." <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's the show, guys. Thanks for listening, and yeah, we'll see you again next week. All right, ta ta.